If you're anything like me, you're often hovering somewhere between two extremes, the first being laziness or sloth, and the other being workaholism, maybe you'd even call it busyness, right? And these are two, I would say, sides of the same coin, two extremes, really, of a deadly sin called acedia. Now, we don't talk much about the seven deadly sins, certainly in our society, but not even in the church right now. Most people are pretty afraid to talk about sin, actually. But the reality is acedia is one of the deadliest of sins, and in many ways, one of the great vices of our times. And there is an opposing virtue right down the middle that allows us to push back against these two extremes. And that virtue is the fifth principle in our art of being human. It's called leisure. Everybody, welcome back to the Love Good Podcast. My name is Jimmy Mitchell. Today, we're going to be diving into this fifth principle of leisure. But for those who aren't yet following along with the book or the formation platform online, you've got to go to lovegoodacademy.com. Subscribe as a patron today. We'll immediately send you a brand new copy of my book. It's called Let Beauty Speak, The Art of Being Human in a Culture of Noise. And then we'll also give you full access to Love Good Academy. And the first course that you have access to in this formation platform is named after my new book. It's called Let Beauty Speak, of course. And each class, each session is a diving into one of these 10 principles, just like each episode of season seven of the podcast is an introduction to each of these principles as well. So again, if you're not yet a patron, go to lovegoodacademy.com. And if you are a patron, click on one of the many links that we've sent you over the last few weeks that will give you full access to Love Good Academy. You just got to briefly set up your account and then you have full access, not only to my course, but to many courses that will release in the months and years ahead, including a course by Father Ryan Adorjan and Dr. Ryan Hanning. Amazing stuff. You can only get it again at lovegoodacademy.com. I'll be back in just a moment as we dive into our fifth principle of leisure. As many of you know, a couple of years ago, I moved from Music City, USA to Cigar City, USA. And I got to say, this was an unexpected transition. I had been living in Nashville, Music City, for 16 years. And a huge part of my life was accompanying artists and singer-songwriters, coming alongside them in their craft and supporting them through Love Good. In fact, we've been doing this kind of work. I've been involved in this kind of work since 2010, when we first hosted a massive pro-life music festival in Nashville in partnership with the 40 Days for Life. I was also at the time very involved in putting out sacred music with a, a dear friend of mine named Colleen Nixon. We put out these three beautiful sacred music albums under the name Marion Grace. And for those who've never heard of them, they're still probably one of the most successful things I've ever been a part of. Go to Spotify, go to Apple Music, type in Marion Grace. We've still got thousands of listeners a month, and especially around Christmas time, which we're obviously in the midst of the eight-day octave of Christmas, people seem to listen to our music uh, more than ever. So you should check that out. It's in many ways the the root system of Love Good. Long before we did that, you know, forty-five city summer tour back in 2013, we were doing a lot of house concerts and a lot of music festivals out of Nashville. And again, I was very involved creatively with some of those earliest projects and. I got to say, you know, I never saw myself leaving that creative community in Nashville. I never saw myself leaving the, the buckle of the Bible Belt. I mean, Nashville has always been my home. I mean, I should say at least since I was 16 years old, I went there for the very first time, junior year of high school, for what are called the Dove Awards. This is kind of the, the, the Christian Grammys. And I think it was the 20th anniversary 
of Michael W. Smith releasing his debut album. So 1983 was when his first album came out. I was suddenly in Nashville during my spring break of 2003. I guess I was a junior in high school at the time. And he played one of his kind of most legendary songs called Friends. And it goes like this. Friends are friends forever. If the Lord's the Lord of them. You don't want to hear me sing it. But the point is, it was Michael W. Smith with every big name in Christian music. I mean, we're talking Stephen Curtis Chapman and Mac Powell of Third Day and Nicole C. Mullen. And every big name at that time joined him on stage to, to sing that song. I'll never forget it. It is seared into my memory. I've felt a part of Nashville ever since. And I know that makes me sound like just some sort of freak fan, and I am. I'm, I'm one of those freak fans when it comes to Michael W. Smith and, and most of Christian music. Um, but I got to say, I never saw myself leaving. In fact, b- before I dive into why I'm talking about Music City and Cigar City, I just got to throw out one incredible uh, movie recommendation. I just bought this for my mom for Christmas, and we watched it actually on Christmas Day. It's called Jesus Music. Okay, this is a, a brand new documentary incredibly high quality, beautifully done, that tells the, the story of the origins of gospel music and of Christian music and of what we now in many circles call worship music. Uh, this is so well done. At the very, very end, there's a very brief moment with Matt Marr, for those of you who are Matt Marr fans, but the entire story is, is narrated by many of my heroes. One of them is John Style, who is the founding editor of CCM Magazine, who I interned under while I was at Vanderbilt. Uh, So, of course, went from living in Atlanta to eventually moving to Nashville to become a Vanderbilt student and then a seminarian and then eventually an entrepreneur and a missionary based out of that great city. Uh, But many of my great relationships and mentors, especially in college, were in the Christian music industry, and all of them came together to put this beautiful documentary out there. And again, it's called Jesus Music. For those of you who are really interested in the growth of that movement, not just creatively and musically, but even spiritually, uh, it's so worth watching. It's a good solid two hours. But if you love Amy Grant, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Micah W. Smith, Toby Mack, Kirk Franklin, any of these guys, they all make appearances, and many of them are kind of help narrating the documentary as it unfolds. Anyways, massive uh, tangent, but a very important recommendation for those who are into that sort of thing. So it was only a couple of years ago that I found myself no longer living in the city with 200 live shows a night, but rather living in the city best known, historically speaking, for its cigars. Okay, now I've always loved cigars, ever since my first one, which took place in Antigua, Guatemala. I was in between my sophomore and junior year of college. I found myself living there as a missionary with one of my best friends at the time, And the two of us decided after three or four weeks of missionary work in Honduras to go on a quick backpacking trip to Guatemala before we returned to Honduras to wrap up our summer uh, of doing uh, really beautiful work with uh, orphan children, with, in many cases, impoverished families, abandoned and abused mothers right there in Comiagua, Honduras. It was an incredible, life-changing summer, but it was while smoking this cigar at the halfway point of that summer that I began to really understand what leisure was all about. I'm sitting there at you know, the ripe age of 20 years old. I had never been out of the country except for one other time on a mission trip in high school and one other time on a brief family cruise. This was certainly my first experience abroad by myself, and it was pretty life-changing, not only because of the work that we were doing with the poor, but primarily because of how different the culture was down there. I was used to sort of an achievement mentality that was constantly on the move and 
for most of high school, I was really just setting aside uh, as many achievements as I possibly could to build the resume that would get me into the college of my dreams. And then I, I suddenly showed up at Vanderbilt and I realized, wow, I'm surrounded by a lot of very talented and soon to be very successful people in every imaginable sphere of life and society and culture. And I got to decide, what is my unique and unrepeatable calling? What is God asking of me? And so a huge part of that search for the answer, right, for what my life was all about was was found or very much expressed in how I spent my summers. So I did this summer of missionary work abroad. I ended up uh, studying in Rome and London for extended periods of time. I lived for five weeks at a summer camp in the North Georgia mountains called Covecrest. I got to say, you know, for so much of my college experience, I was, I was asking the right questions, having a hard time finding the answers, though. And it was leisure that really helped me listen. And I think I did learn this that summer in Honduras and in Guatemala for the first time while smoking a cigar. Now, that sounds maybe a little over the top. You know, do you really need a cigar to enter into true leisure? Of course not. But I got to say, for me, Cigars have a way of slowing everything down. They have a way of helping me not feel this constant need to fill the noise or to fill the, the silence with noise, I should say. And so there I am reflecting on this already life-changing experience of living in a third world country with one of my best friends. And over the next hour to hour and a half, as we smoked these full-bodied Cubans, I found myself not so much conversing, but contemplating out loud, you know, asking the right questions about what it really meant to be fully human and fully alive. And one of the things that we noticed in these beautiful young people and these beautiful mothers there that we were serving, uh, really rolling up our sleeves and coming alongside all summer long with these other Franciscan missionaries, you know, we saw in them a happiness that we didn't have ourselves. And this really struck me. How could joy and poverty coexist so seamlessly? And again, I saw it in the poor. I saw it in these abandoned and abused mothers. I saw it in this culture that was so different from the one that I had known growing up. And I got to say, this is still hard for me to put into words, but we, we have this idea that leisure is something associated with those living in prosperity, not poverty, right? You know, what, what could the poor possibly teach us about spending our free time well? And here's what's crazy. You know, they don't have access to symphonies or sporting events, things we would normally associate with leisure. Maybe they can't even afford Cuban cigars or, or fancy vacations. And yet the poorest of the poor seems so much happier than those of us who are living in first world countries, who have access to every imaginable comfort we could hope for. So again, how can poverty and joy coexist so seamlessly? Well, I got to say that maybe the best answer is found not in a definition of leisure, not even in some thorough philosophical explanation of what we're talking about, but rather in poetry. Poetry, which has a way of expressing the inexpressible. This is part of why I love music so much, especially written music, meaning, you know, not just symphonies, although I love that. That's the only kind of music I'm capable of writing, more so singer-songwriter type music, the kind of music that tells great stories. We see this especially in country music. It's the great genre for storytelling. But I want to just share now briefly a poem that was never put to music, at least that I'm aware of, written by Gerard Manley Hopkins, right? He was a great Jesuit who died in obscurity, but after he died, he was popularized by a fellow poet named Robert Bridges. And this is, I think, one of his greatest of all poems 
called God's grandeur. And it goes like this. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod. And all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil. And wears man's smudge and share man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, O morning at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent, world broods with warm breast and with awe bright wings. Again, that was God's Grandeur by Gerard Manley Hopkins. You know, do we really need some kind of master's degree in philosophy or English or theology to experience a world charged with the grandeur of God? This is what leisure does for us. It helps us enter into reality. It helps us find the true, the good, and the beautiful in every moment, in every situation, in every conversation, and every possible encounter that we have over the course of even our everyday lives. Perhaps the most important truth that leisure teaches us is that we're not human doings, but human beings. That, in fact, who we are is more important than what we do. So while we might have this idea of leisure just being how we spend our free time, or to borrow Webster's definition, our use of free time for enjoyment, the more proper definition of leisure, I think, comes from philosophy, which is a conditioning of the soul for reality which is a conditioning of the soul for understanding and embracing all that is true and good and beautiful, right? So in a world that obsesses with accomplishment, we've got to remember that we are fundamentally good, not because of what we produce, but because we exist, right? That our identity runs deeper than just the sum of our successes or our failures. I want to briefly now quote from Joseph Pieper, who's of course famous for having written a book called Leisure, the Basis of Culture. And in some ways, this is, this is his great definition of leisure. It goes like this. Leisure is a form of that stillness that is necessary preparation for accepting reality. Only the person who is still can hear, and whoever is not still cannot hear. Such stillness is not mere soundlessness or a dead muteness. It means, rather, that the soul's power as real of responding to the real has not yet descended into words. Leisure is the disposition of perceptive understanding, of contemplative beholding and immersion in the real. End quote. This is what leisure is all about. It's about reality, living in the real. You might notice there's a big difference between leisure and loafing, leisure and entertainment, especially entertainment that's mindless, that's just mere amusement. That's fantasy, not reality. See, leisure helps us embrace what is true, good, and beautiful, right? So we could talk about these enemies of leisure. We already mentioned sloth or workaholism, but we could talk about technology, scientism, addiction of any kind. You know, we're so much more than just cogs in a wheel. We're made for so much more than just efficiency, productivity, or even endless comfort and pleasure-seeking, okay? That leisure is the very reality, the very principle, certainly in our art of being human, that brings about the interior restoration that our soul needs day in 
and day out. So perhaps the question for many of us is how do we cultivate leisure? Well, obviously one of the big ways that we cultivate that here in Lovegood is by very intentionally curating music, books, art, movies, and frankly all forms of media and entertainment in our lives. Anything that is remotely artistic and creative should be discerned long before it's consumed. And that doesn't mean that it has to be explicitly Christian. Let's be honest, a lot of Christian music, certainly a lot of Christian filmmaking, is just so cheesy. It just feels like a carbon copy of what our secular counterparts are doing with uh, Scripture injected uh, in the lyrics. And I don't know if that's very beautiful or very artistic or really conditioning our soul for the true, the good, and the beautiful, right? So what does true leisure look like in the form of music? It looks a lot more like John Foreman, the lead singer of Switchfoot, or, you know, Need to Breathe, I would say. Many of the, the great artists that have been promoted through Lovegood for the last 10 years who really understand the incredible calling that they have as custodians of beauty, as, you know, pass-throughs for the rest of us to encounter the greatest and highest reality who's God himself. Many of you have, I think, heard us talk about Dana Julia here in the podcast because it was probably seven, eight, ten episodes ago I sat down with Dr. Ryan Hanning and really introduced Dana Julia, not only as the former chairman of the National Endowment for the Arts, but as a great poet and a great commentary on the true nature of art in modern America. And he once described the purpose of art as follows. He said, The cynicism that pervades contemporary cultural life must be replaced by a deep confidence in the human purposes and importance of art. Art is not an elitist luxury or a game for intellectual coteries. It is a necessary component of human development, both individually and communally. Art educates our emotions and imagination. It awakens, enlarges, and refines our humanity. Remove it, dilute it, or pervert it, and a community or a nation suffers becoming less compassionate, curious, and alert, more coarse, narrow, and self-satisfied, end quote. So easy to forget that without good art bringing us out of ourselves, helping us be more compassionate, curious, and alert, it's really only a matter of time before our souls shrivel and our culture implodes. This is especially true for those of us who don't live anywhere near the beauty of God's creation. If you're living in the, the concrete jungle that is a big city, You've got to go out of your way to stay rooted in reality. And this is what great art can do. It's why the great museums of Western civilization are almost all in big cities. So what does it look like to, to cultivate leisure in our own lives? Well, it has everything to do, again, with music, books, and art. It also has everything to do with adventure. I would say one of my greatest and, and most enjoyed forms of leisure uh, is, in fact, anything that involves an adventure. So I talked about missionary work abroad. I talked about any sort of studying and traveling I've done in foreign cities as being great forms of leisure. I'll never forget the hours on end that I would spend in coffee shops as a college student leisurely reading and leisurely writing. In fact, at one point I kept a blog. It no longer exists, so don't look for it, but it was called Mirth in the merciful. And I don't even know what I meant by that. I just liked the sound of it. And I especially like the idea of mirth. Mirth being, being this kind of uncontainable joy. It's a word that's often used by C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton to describe the, the saints in heaven who have mirth dancing in their eyes. 
In fact, it was while sitting at a coffee shop in London that I finally posted to the blog that I've been working on there for a few months an old email, one that I had sent out towards the very end of that summer in Honduras while I was doing missionary work and while I was thinking about the deepest realities of the human experience. And just to read a brief excerpt of that email that then came out in the form of a blog, uh, here we go. But how often do our ears hear the softening whispers of silence? How often do we embrace the sweet songs of solitude? Do we take time to be still and experience peace in its fullness? I came across the following Mother Teresa quote several months ago, but it has never had more meaning than it does now. And it goes like this. The fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is love. The fruit of love is service. And the fruit of service is peace. End quote. In the midst of it all, I realize that the logic of love is counterintuitive, countercultural, and certainly counter-American. To borrow Mother Teresa's words, the more we have, the less we give. And the less we have, the more we give. I saw this truth in the people of Honduras, and I see it in myself as an American. In our simplicity, there is abundance. In our self-denial, there is true love. In our simplicity, there is life. Now, why it took me doing you know, missionary work in Central America and then eventually studying abroad in Europe to understand this idea of leisure, I, I don't know. But I got to say, it makes sense to me that it was in this same season of life that I began going to daily Mass. Mass, which is the highest form of prayer, the great act of worship, the sacrifice of praise, where we enter into Jesus's worship of the Father. Now, for those who aren't Catholic, it might be worth just reading through the history of how Christians worshipped. In fact, you can go back and read a, a first century account from St. Justin Martyr as he describes what Christians do on Sundays. And he quite literally describes the Mass in detail. From the liturgy of the Word all the way through the liturgy of the Eucharist, he describes the Mass, something that Christians, specifically Catholics, have been doing for 2,000 years. And so, to borrow this idea again from Joseph Pieper, the highest form of leisure is prayer and ultimately the worship of Almighty God. And therefore, it's, it's a great culmination point. Leisure is a wonderful culmination point for our first five principles, because as we turn the corner, we're now diving into work. We're going to be diving into community. Our eighth principle is suffering. Our ninth is community, our mission, I should say. And our tenth principle is culture. So as we, as we dive into these future principles, we're going to be talking more and more explicitly about faith, about prayer, and about the gospel, about what it really means to live the fullness of our humanity by living the life of Christ himself. And so I want to close with just the last paragraph of this chapter. This is again chapter 5, principle number 5, and let beauty speak. And as you're going to notice in the next few episodes, these these are going to get shorter and shorter because I want to more and more give you an opportunity to, to dive into these principles, not through the podcast, but through the formation platform, which again, you can find exclusively at lovegoodacademy.com by subscribing as a patron. But again, this is the last paragraph of chapter five in Let Beauty Speak, and it goes like this. In the final analysis, true leisure points us to God, who rested on the seventh day and delighted in his creation. We must do the same. In a world obsessed with work, technology, money, and science, we need apostles of the interior life who remind others to rejoice in their existence, not their productivity. 
We must reject sloth on one end and all tendencies towards busyness on the other. Leisure alone protects us from the dangerous vice of acedia and fosters our receptivity to the true, the good, and the beautiful. It places our soul at rest so that we can look out at the world as easily as we look into our soul and say with humble confidence, All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Again, everybody, I'll be back next week diving into our sixth principle of work, but these episodes are going to get shorter and shorter as we continue progressing through season seven of the podcast, again, because I want you to dive into these principles far more deeply as can only be done as a Love Good patron through our brand new Love Good Academy formation platform, which again can only be found at lovegoodacademy.com. God bless you guys. Have an amazing start to this great Christmas season. Emmanuel, God is with us. Praise the baby Jesus, right, who 2,000 years ago entered into human history, became like us in every way but sin, and then dared to dwell among us up until, of course, his passion and death where he died. He dropped every last bit of his blood on that cross for love of you and of me, and then gave us, through the resurrection, now salvation, a fearlessness before sin and death so that we can live the fullness of our humanity in Christ who remains with us, Emmanuel, he remains with us in the life of the church and specifically through the sacramental life of the church, what an incredible gift it is for all of us to rejoice in this, to rejoice in Emmanuel, God with us. God bless you guys. Again, we'll see you next week as we dive into our next principle. In the meantime, be assured of my prayers and as always, pray for me as well. Peace. <music>